developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back to the WTF1 podcast with myself, Mike Benjamin, and Callan O'Keefe. Now, it was a weekend of no Formula One action. However, 17, I think, former F1 drivers and many, many other revered and recognized racing names from around the globe were taking part in one of the biggest races on earth, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. One third of the Triple Crown, along with the Monaco Grand Prix and the Indy 500. Now, I don't know about you, Callum, but I watched uh, Le Mans. I've watched Le Mans and WEC, the World Endurance Championship, probably on and off for about, I don't know, maybe 10 years even. Um, But right now, it really seems like it's ramping up into something quite exciting, competitive. Everyone's talking about it's another golden era coming in for sports cars. So I feel like it's worth talking about. And of course, we're talking about it because Ferrari have finally won something. I mean, let's let's start off by how many pit stops you have to make in Le Mans. And they didn't screw up the strategy. How good is that? <laughs> <laughs> straight away, straight in off the bat. Um yeah, you know, what a what an amazing victory for Ferrari to to come back to Le Mans and to win it. It and and they did it in dominant style as well. I think, you know, taking pole position, having both cars at the front and you know, basically leading most of the race, which is no mean feat in Le Mans, is it? You know, with the amount of challenges, the rain that came down, you know, to towards the night stints. Um, absolute carnage. So many good videos of the cars going off as well. And what a what an amazing uh, result for the team. And, you know, when the the sort of sports car racing 10, 15 years ago, we sort of saw it dying off a little bit. Um, it wasn't necessarily driver's first priority. Everyone was looking at Formula One, but everyone knows how difficult it is for young drivers to get into Formula One. And that sort of brought a bit of a resurgence for GT and sports car racing. And I think you're right. I think if it continues the way it's going, we're going to see some amazing driving, some amazing racing, and um, hopefully a, a new era of, uh, of the sport. I think it's going to be brilliant. So Ferrari won Le Mans for the first time in 50 years. And that wasn't them trying every year for 50 years since. They haven't been in it for a while. So they finally came back in and won it. Uh, with a name you'll be familiar with as well. I mean, there's three drivers per team. Antonio Giovinazzi was part of the winning team, uh, which means him, along with Marcus Ericsson, are two of the most successful racing drivers to come from the Alfa Romeo Sauber lineup, if you exclude Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, since in the last, you know, six years. How mad is that when you add a Charles Leclerc into into the scenario there? Just kind of underlines how bit awkward that Leclerc hasn't really done much in a Ferrari yet. There's still time. <laughs> There's still time. There's still I back time. Charles. If, if Ferrari can do, can come back and win Le Mans after 56 years, Charles has time. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Well, he just needs to stay he, patient. He was there and said he'd love to do it one day. So um, that did get us thinking. It was 100 years of Le Mans. So it's only getting bigger and bigger. Like, So let me actually, if I just list off some of the teams that are involved in this hypercar category, which is the fastest, the most um, uh, advanced, the, the, the top tier of, of world endurance. Cadillac, Van Wall, 
Porsche, Toyota, Ferrari, Peugeot. Uh, you've got Independence like uh, uh, Glickenhaus. And then you've got Lamborghini, Alpine, BMW, which are all entering next year. Like that list is just insane. So it, it got us thinking, who would you want to see enter the hypercar category from the Formula One world? Well, I, I think the obvious answer that everyone wants to see is Red Bull. I would love to see the the combination of engineering staff and drivers come across and take on the challenge of Le Mans. It might actually mean that, you know, it takes a little bit of time for them to win because I don't think, as you said, like if you look at the entry list now, it's no mean feat to take on the manufacturers they're taking on. And and these cars are, they're fast. There's a lot going on with them. There's, you know, obviously with Le Mans, there's a lot of strategy involved too. So I would, I'd love to see the kind of like the dream team that's dominating Formula One at the moment come across to Le Mans and see if they can take the challenge of the big manufacturers. That would be epic, wouldn't it? I mean, the, I was having a think about who who should really be entering. Red Bull should be entering because Adrian Newey is currently working on a thing called the RB17, which is this hypercar concept. But it's only going to be for it's going to be for actual sort of road people who really really rich people can spend about five million and buy one and actually drive it themselves, which is mental. But if he's already working on one, you think, well, just enter into WEC would be awesome. But then you also got. He also worked on the Aston Martin Valkyrie, of yeah. course, which looks like a mean machine. And then Mercedes have got this thing called the AMG One, which is another hypercar. McLaren have got a thing called the Solus GT, which again looks like a, a ridiculous hypercar form. And you're just thinking, right, well, Red Bull, Aston Martin, Mercedes, McLaren, get the hell into work right now. And then suddenly you can have, imagine a Hamilton in a Mercedes hypercar or Alonso in a, in a Mercedes hypercar. Or Verstappen, he said he wants to do it that with his dad in a Red Bull amazing, wouldn't it? And it's it's the next that yeah. I mean, like imagine Lewis Hamilton coming across, taking on again another challenge. I we said in the last podcast, didn't we, about what drivers could potentially do if they're starting to get a little bit bored of Formula One. And I think you know, like I said before, Le Mans did go through a stage where we had you know, five or six cars and there was two manufacturers or three manufacturers, one of which couldn't really challenge. So it got a bit stale because you kind of could predict the result. But now if we keep seeing this growth, it's going to be probably the most competitive, you know, motorsport there is. And the toughest race to win as well. 24 hours of nonstop racing, all the elements, there's always something that comes in. So, you know, basically this is our call to all those manufacturers, whatever you're doing, sack it off and get yourself across to Le Mans now. Yeah, I, I if you haven't watched uh, not just Le Mans, but it's part of you don't know it's part of this series called the World Endurance Championship, and Le Mans is like the the, the crown jewel of the event. Twenty four hours, as you say, Callan, and then but every other race is sort of six hours, and there's about there's less than eight. I think there's going to be eight next year, but they race you know at Bahrain and Sao Paulo and all, all the tracks that you probably be quite familiar with from Formula One. Um, and these is and, and of the current F one grid at the moment, there are two who have won Le Mans. Hulkenberg and Alonso, which is incredible. But this was, I think I managed to, to find everybody who took part this year who was a former Formula One driver. Jensen Button, Jean-Éric Verne, Paul Deresta, Sebastian Buemi, who is like a Le Mans uh, uh, legend now. Uh, Giovinazzi, Kobayashi, who owns as team principal of Toyota, which is the team that's kind of been dominant for the last few years and hasn't really had any competition. Um, Andre Lotterer, Brendan Hartley, Will Stevens, Felipe Nazar, Esteban Gutierrez, Jack Aitken, Sebastian Bourdais, Guido Vandegaard, Danny Kvyat, Jan Magnussen, Daddy Magnussen, and Robert Kubica. 
Like, I think that was everybody I found. Uh, plus, there's loads of like Formula Two races, and like, uh, you know, Scott Dixon from IndyCar was in it. And it's just some really revered racing drivers. So, crucial question if Callan, and I'm going to do this as well, of the current F1 grid, you could have your own team of three drivers <sighs> and, a, and a team. Who would you bring in to, to the hypercar category? Oh. Oh, so much choice. I think number one would be Alonso. I yeah. you need someone in there who's he's already won it. He has the experience. He's on the form of his life. He's he's the t- he, and he's nurturing into what a team leader. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I you like to think it's not just the straw money that's that's causing him to be a sort of like nurturing uh, older team member, if you like. Um, my, yeah, he he would be my first call definitely. Then I'd bring in I'd bring in someone uh, like Verstappen aside. Obviously, everyone would want Verstappen in their team because he's yeah. extremely Alonso fast. Alonso Verstappen Hamilton done. Alonso yeah. Verstappen, how easy. <laughs> Let's let I, I'm going to take I'm going to keep Verstappen off the table because I think okay. that's the obvious choice. So there's a part of me that wants to say Sergio Perez because oh. he's very good at saving tires and obviously saving tires and saving fuel comes massively in handy in these races because the more you can save effectively, the less you can stop. Um, but given his current form at the moment, which we'll we'll talk about later on, maybe maybe not. But like peak Sergio, I'd like peak Sergio, and then someone young and fast, Yuki Sonoda, just for the no. imagine imagine again. Yuki is another driver who I, I'm doing it more for the content, really. To be honest with you, imagine 24 hours of team ready of Yuki Sonoda, all the stuff in the back of the pits with him, uh, you know, imagine, falling asleep and missing a driver yeah, change or something. Yeah. Imagine trying to wake him up for his driver change or whatever, and him being in a really like mood, like m- big mood of being woken up. I, I like that's, that. That's my fun driver line, and obviously, you know, I'd want um, Big Toto Wolf as as the team principal, oh, and and Adrian Newey on the car design. Hundred percent. What um, if you could pick any uh, brand or or manufacturer that to bring back with this team? Who would it be? Like, are you going to race an Audi or are you going to race, uh, I don't know. Audi Audi have that, that you know, that that history, already, that pedigree already in Le Mans, don't they? Mm. Um, I would say Skoda, personally, you know, bring the... <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But why not? Why not see a Skoda? You never know. Um, well, same company, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> imagine imagine a magic. Skoda winning Le Mans. That would be amazing. Beating the likes of Lamborghini and Ferrari. What a What a time to be alive. Um, no, I, I think that the thing is like every, every young driver, the dream of, of being a part of like Ferrari and Ferrari are back. It'd be great to see, you've already, you've already racked off like, you know, Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren. They all have these amazing like road car, let's call them hypercar projects in the background. I think McLaren, I'd like to see McLaren come in. You know, we, we have manufacturers from, from every country, except for, for Britain, as, as far as I'm aware with the, you know, like a proper manufacturer. So let's let's get them back in. Let's get this dream team together, and uh, let's go win Le Mans. And if yeah, they need I... an advisor, I'm ready. You know, we can. We can... <laughs> yeah, you're the driver coach for for, 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 for Alonso. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like that though because um, I feel like McLaren's a reasonable one though because they have teams, obviously Formula One, but they've also got Extreme E. They've got Formula E. So like, it would be another string to their bow and IndyCar, obviously. So they do yeah. diversify it. So I went, I, I I actually didn't choose a team from Formula One because I forgot that's what I asked us to do. Yeah. Um, so, well done, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I'm bringing back Bentley 
to oh. yeah because i actually saw the hyper the the lmp or it used to be called lmp1 i think uh from yeah. I, I when i went to goodwood earlier in the year i saw the car that won le mans back in the day uh with a, with the hands of tom christensen and, and oh. others. i forget their names apologies to those but tom christensen is mr le mans um if you don't know google him he's a legend um but i'm bringing back bentley because i love the green the the green racing of, of bentley and my driver lineup is so Lando Norris. Oh, yep. We've pinched him from McLaren. And then I've also Not kind if of I can ditched, stop that. I've ditched I've ditched the Alonso Hamilton Verstappen's as well. Um so Norris. Then I'm going for Alex Albon because I just think Ooh. when he's done other categories, he's actually been quite good. Like he did DTM, uh, didn't he? When he when he kind of crashed and burned out of Red Bull. And he was all right. <laughs> so I put him in there. I feel like he's a good team player as well. And now he's not technically on the current F1 grid, but a reserve driver. And Bentley is owned by the Audi group or the VW group, which is German. So I'm thinking, get a German in there, Mick Schumacher. As long as he doesn't, Ooh. as long as he doesn't bin the car, um, I feel like that that's a good name to have in there. So Bentley back in uh, Weck hypercar with Norris, Albon, and Schumacher. That is not a bad goal. Yeah. The only thing I'd say, and, and someone actually told me this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not sure how true it is, but apparently having a race car in green is really bad luck. What? Like, yeah, apparently a lot of teams, they won't have a green race car because to run a green race car is bad luck. And so I would just be very, I'm just, you know, I'm not superstitious myself, but, you know, we're covering all bases here, proving that we can be good advisors to these teams. But look at Aston Martin. They're fine. I, I don't Be- make the Better rules. than ever, arguably. Well, let's see how their form continues over the rest of the season, shall oh, we? Oh, well, I'm well, not putting well. two and two together here. <laughs> I, but I, I actually make a really good point. Like the, the Bentley pro, like pedigree in Le Mans. And, and as you said, Tom Christensen, like what a legend this world. Like the world's most soothing voice as well. That man, oh. just when he speaks, it's, it's, it's like butter in the air. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. freshly churned butter. He, um, for lack of a better analogy, I actually met him at Goodwood very briefly this year. He didn't know he didn't know me, and I was just sort of uh, how working, dare he? How dare know, he? How dare? But I was working with the TV people, and he was just sort of there, and we kind of have a really brief chat. And and I took a picture of his car, and I put it up on my Instagram, and tagged him, and he like followed me back. He sent me a message like, "Oh, great to see you." And I was like, "I mean, we didn't really even chat, but thank you." Oh, oh my <laughs> god. Um, Big fanboy moment there. But um, that was, if you missed it, that was basically the 24 hour Le Mans this weekend. So that's why yeah. we're talking about it. It's one of the biggest races on the earth. So we felt like we should give it some some coverage here on WTF. Be- before we move on, can we? I just had a little thought. How yeah. cool would it be to get a, not technically a manufacturer, but how cool would it be to get a Penske or a Ganassi entry? Some, well, like, some, well, one like of the full, uh, like but- a full scale entry into Le Mans. Because Proper. they are because Penske sort of operate the poor one of the Porsche entries, I think. So, but I don't know if that's it's not full Porsche or full Penske. So I don't. Know. I would I would love to see like a pro like or even like a merging of the two. Not that it's going to ever happen, but imagine like we saw the um the NASCAR was a Garage Fifty Six entry. Oh yeah, that came over like screaming freedom. Let's go now. Didn't even have a door for the driver changes. They had no, to get in through the window. Out the window. It looked so much. It was so much bigger than everything else as well and it was Did so much you, uh, faster so they had to like pin it back every time 
Did you see Jensen Button as well when he, um, before the start of the race, he tweeted a Jean Girard quote from Talladega Nights? No, I didn't see if that. Any, if anyone like, if anyone's seen Talladega Nights movie with him with Will Farrell about a NASCAR racer and then a, a French Formula One driver who comes over to defeat the the American power, like it's great movie and um, yeah, basically Jensen Button was like fully embracing it, wasn't he? So I, I think that you know watching that car drive around in a place that technically shouldn't have been in really when you think about it because it's a nascar how good would it be to see more american influence really come over and, and tackle them on i would uh, yeah i would like that i think um and that would be kind of awesome just to have these big even if they're not big manufacturers like ferrari or whatever just but like big well-known teams just to, i think that would be like it, I, even like a Haas in the hypercar would be kind of cool to see like that kind of that kind of branding deal you know 100 percent um, We'll get back to the show in just a moment, but first, a quick word about our partners at MoneyGram. We live in a world that's more digital than ever, with nearly every want or need just to tap away. And so many of our favorite digital services seamlessly meet the physical world when they're delivered to your front door. But until now, that hasn't been true for crypto. Digital currencies have been tied up online with no easy way to bring them into the real world. That's why we're so excited to share that you can now cash in and out of select digital wallets and participate in MoneyGram locations without a bank, credit card, or debit card. Convert your digital currency to cash and back again using the only digital wallets with real cash access activated by MoneyGram. Learn more at MoneyGram.com slash wallets. That's MoneyGram.com slash That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R wallets. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 100%. Right. Um, let's move on then. Let's let's look forward. Uh, Le Mans is now in the past. It's the Canadian Grand Prix this weekend. It's race week. Um, so... Who's the pressure on and who's it off? Because apparently, according to Christian Horner, uh, it's off for Perez because that gap at the front now, 53 points between him and his teammate. And after finishing, where did Perez finish last time? Fourth. Uh, And Horner said this recently. And I think uh, that looking at the gap now between the two drivers, which is pretty significant in many respects, that will take pressure off his shoulders. And I think that'll allow him just to now relax, not put pressure on himself, and just refine the form that he had in those early races. So do you think it w- that's true? Because has he did have form in those early races, but has Perez been kind of pushing for something that he's just not capable of doing, which is, which is being at Verstappen's level? I mean, it, it should be noted that first and foremost, it is never a good thing when someone from Red Bull comes out and says in the media that you have their full support or the pressure's off. Because how many times have we seen this with Gasly, with Kvyat, with, with you know, with any Albon, of the junior drivers? Yeah. Albon, whenever they're in a position O'Keefe. where, well, uh, I never quite made it that far. I just, you know, <laughs> scorned Red Bull F1 Jr. <laughs> over Analyzer's media article. What a what a tagline that is. No, I, I think it's one of those things, isn't it? Where if they are traditionally coming out and saying that you have their full support and everything, it's it's not normally a good sign. It's normally their sort of way of 
saying that they support you because you know they get a lot of of um stick in the media about how they support their drivers but normally that means behind the scenes from what we've seen that it's actually ramping up and intensifying and results are expected and i think the the pressure is potentially off for perez because like you say the gap is too big verstappen is is on fire at the moment and maybe maybe as you said he's he's striving for something that isn't necessarily there we've seen he took the fight to him early on in the year and and verstappen has just elevated his level to yeah, he's he's basically untouchable at the moment. There's no one on the grid who I think can actually come close to matching him with the current package that he's got. And and it's not like he's taking it easy either. We, we, we've spoken in depth about that Monaco qualifying the last sector. Mm. I don't know another driver that's capable of doing that or has done it. You know what I mean? It's, it's one thing having the potential. It's another thing doing it. So maybe now, hopefully, he does refine a bit of form because, again, form is is something that it's it's hard to maintain. And hopefully... He can just get back in the fight again, be there, capitalize on a couple of mistakes, and and then hopefully we see a bit of a, a, a shift back to make the racing more interesting. But yeah, I think um, if I was Perez, I would be looking for a, you know a, a massive shift in performance as quickly as I possibly can. Yeah, but it's it's classic dominant driver team pairing number one, number two, and I think unfortunately. That, that has happened time and time again. And I, I just think if Sergio Perez just kind of accepts that because he's much, in a much later stage in his career now, you know, and, and anything I think is a bonus for him because let's face it, he was on the ropes a couple of years ago, not out yeah. of lack of talent, but purely out of his options all dried up. And, uh, you know, after a decade in the sport, that, um, I mean, that's a fairly long stint in Formula One, fair play, well done. At, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. But, I just think his life would be better and he'd probably perform better more consistently and be there to capitalize when Verstappen, if he ever has an engine that blows up or ever gets taken out in turn one. And Perez can be there if he just accepts that he's number two, like Rubens Barrichello or, you know, anyone, anyone alongside Michael Schumacher back in the day, you know, they just kind of had to accept that, Right, you know, we'll let uh, let him through. You know, even Felipe Massa to a certain extent at some point with with Fernando Alonso. You know, um, just just be there, be fast enough to to keep your nice seat at Red Bull, keep the others at bay, and, and enjoy your racing. But kind of accept that you can't be that guy. Which I'm, I know, and I can imagine that as a racing driver, you just cannot accept that. Well, here's here's my question, right, about the whole number one, number two debate. Like, if 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 you just arrive in a team and you accept the fact that you're number two, like someone like Nico Rosberg probably wouldn't have been a world champion. Yeah. Because imagine yeah. Nico, like, and I know everyone will probably be saying in the background, oh, but Hamilton had the the mechanical failures, and if he hadn't had those, then statistically he would have won. Like, obviously, I'm very much aware of that. But Nico massively took the fight to Lewis. Lewis gave it everything based on the situation, and Nico Rosberg bowed out the Formula One a world champion. And that's the bit where I kind of wondered, like, you know, you, you you start off karting at eight years old. It's hard to get to Formula One. It really is. Then you get there. Then you find yourself in the seat that is capable of winning a world championship. You know, you need the car underneath you. And finally, he has that, especially after being up against zero. It's very, very difficult to just say, well, you know what? The guy who you're racing against is just better than you are. Accept that. And, you know, I think it's... Racing, if you get to the top of the sport, you're not wired like that because it is, it's, as I said before, it's so difficult to get there as a starting point because it's not just about results. It's about, you know, you need finances, you need luck to fall into place, and then you need to find the seat 
that's the hardest thing. Even if you have all the results and all the money to find the opening. And if you get that opportunity and you don't leave everything on the table, then, you know, you'll, you'll always look back and have regrets. And I think the problem is with Formula One compared to other sports potentially is, is the mistakes are so much more costly. You know, in, in football, for example, if you miss a slight tackle, you miss a challenge, you've got, you know, other teammates who can almost counteract that. And people make mistakes all the time. If you mess up in qualifying and you hit the barrier, you start last, it compromises your entire weekend. It's it's one mistake that has much harsher consequences because it's just you in the car. So I think motorsports are more complex sport than that. Sergio is on a dip on form, but I'd, I'd like to, again, I've said it time and time again, I'd love to see him push to see what he's really capable of. I don't really believe that drivers peak necessarily. We're seeing that with Fernando Alonso because... You know, again, every other sport, you get to practice every day. Whereas in this, the drivers are lucky, especially that generation. They're lucky if they got 10, 12 test days a year. Um, so they're still continually getting better. I don't think there's an expiry date on a racing driver. It's about how how much you can find from yourself and how much you can extract. Yeah. How, um, I mean, we know how important stability is within a team. But for Red Bull as well, that that lineup of, of Adrian Newey, Christian Horner, Helmut Marko, Max Verstappen, obviously, and now Sergio Perez, despite this, the dip in form at the last couple of races, you know, has this year is, has been up there, has leveled up. I think it's fair to say over his, yeah. his first couple of years with Red Bull. But there were rumours swirling around um, that Christian Horner might well have been the Ferrari team principal this year, replacing Mattia Bonotto. Helmut Marko has come out and said it cost Red Bull millions to keep Horner, but it only took him an evening or a day or something like that uh, to persuade him not to leave. But could you imagine if Horner had jumped ship to Ferrari? I mean, what what could have been? Do you think Horner is the kind of man that could could have turned around Ferrari's form massively? Or is it is it bigger than that? And equally on the other side... Who would replace Horner at Red Bull as team principal? He is, after Franz Tost goes from Alpha Tauri, I think Christian Horner will be the longest serving team principal of any team. Yeah, he's been there forever, hasn't he, really? For as long as I can remember. He's, and he, he you know, he's, he's just, he's, we always give the sort of like limelight, if you like, to the one individual, and especially like the Netflix era when it was Horner versus Wolf. Like, how, how popular is that battle become? We all love it, don't we? Um, but I, I don't think the Ferrari fix is quite as simple as one person. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of good people come in. Obviously, Ferrari have have the man himself, Mr. Vassour, running it now. Who, if there's someone who can turn it around, it should be him. He's he's one of those, you know, mythical features, if you like, who, who runs race teams. But I I've, I would have loved to have seen it. I mean, we love, we love a shake-up in the sport, something different, because, again, it would probably be something that does disrupt Red Bull, and it would have been something that should, in theory, positively impact Ferrari. But... I don't think the Ferrari problem is quite as simple as one person. You know, these Formula One teams, they're, they're so big, especially an establishment like Ferrari. The one guy at the top could trickle it down, but I think it would take a little bit longer. My my question to you is, what do you think would have happened? It's always me talking. What do you think would have happened? What do I think would have happened if Christian Horner was team principal of Red Bull, uh, of Ferrari even? Um, I, I actually don't think there would have been much change. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think I wonder, I, I wonder actually, because Red Bull has worked off the basis of number one and number two to come back to that conversation in the driver lineup. Whereas Ferrari in recent times, Leclerc, right, is Ferrari golden boy. Signs is the guys come out from, come from the outside of the Ferrari world. But 
there hasn't really been a, a you must let him through, you must let him through for, for Carlos Sainz. In fact, sometimes Sainz has, has overruled and gone, I, I, most notably Silverstone last year, where Carlos Sainz was was uh, so adamant that, um, you know, he, he needed to close up to the back of Leclerc underneath uh, the safety car and he had fresher tyres and they didn't want him to do that. They wanted him to stay stay behind Leclerc and, def- and defend him and he kind of overruled it. And that led to his, his first race win in Formula One. So... I wonder if if Horner being Ferrari team principal, he would come down a bit harder on that and he would go, right, Leclerc is our guy. We are behind him 100% signs. You are the backup. And that is how Ferrari move forward. But I don't know, because at the moment, you look at the driver standings and, and you look at who's doing better and it's Carlos Sainz. So, you know, I wonder if, if there's their less definite one and two because actually they are on a fairly even keel when it comes to, to performance. I don't know, but I, I I think Horner would have been, would be more harsh when it comes to, to the driver lineups personally. Yeah. And I think, you know, like one of the other things that would be really, really good would be the fact that obviously with, with anything where there's struggle, you want someone who's coming in, who's like a, he's a proven entity. It would be the same thing as if Verstappen went to Ferrari and wasn't performing no one would blame Verstappen because of what he's done in the Red Bull car. Whereas if you took someone like Horner over, who's who's had this amazing dominance, everyone would kind of go, well, it's it's it, there's a bigger problem than that, isn't there? And I think that would be a, a getting rid of a big question mark for Ferrari. They kind of need someone from a, the, the current era of Formula One who has dominated mm. to come back in, look after the team, and then they can really definitively answer where the problems are, I think. And yeah, well... Again, we're, we're always driving change on this podcast. If if Ferrari could just counter-offer it, they've got loads of money. It's not difficult to lure them away, surely. So just just draw Horner over or Toto Wolff or someone, just bring someone who's a proven you know, championship winner in the last few years. It's going to be one of the two, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and let's let's restart the fight. I, I think the, the hard thing about that, though, is like, yeah, they have loads of money, but I think Adrian New was saying, because he's been approached by Ferrari numerous times over the years, but... You know these these people's they have their lives now in in whatever country and, and you know Newey and Horner are based in the UK. You know they have their lives, they have their kids, and if you work for Ferrari, you have to just become and adapt to that Ferrari lifestyle. You have to move to Maranello. You have to engulf yourself in the culture there, and everything is Ferrari. Ferrari comes first before your family. I'm pretty sure. So uh, that's such it's such a culture change. I think that probably puts a lot of people off. You know, even though it is a dream to be with Ferrari, I think the older you get. The less, the less it becomes as appealing. Whereas if you're a youngster, you know, look at Leclerc's and Signs. You know, they're only in their mid twenties. Of course, it, they're going to go. They're going to move their whole life, and it's going to be number one. But for for the other side of it, from a managerial kind of side, I, I think there's there's less of an appeal there. I think. Um, and would you really move when you're dominating? Well, exactly. Just, you know, yeah. why, why risk it? Why risk it? You know, I wouldn't. I I I if I was going to bow, if I was going to, I would never. If I was Toto Wolf or Horner. I wouldn't jump ship anywhere else. Although in the back of my mind, it'd be like, oh, I want to prove myself somewhere else. But actually, I would kind rather... Kind of already proven when you've won 20. Yeah, I'd, ra- I'd rather just mic drop. See you later. I'm out of here. Where's my yacht? Bye. All right, all right Nico <laughs> Rosberg. Calm yourself down. <laughs> I would do. I rate Rosberg for that so much. Um, anyway, it's Canada this week. We all love it. Let's see if Perez can, can handle the pressure this time. Um, but it is Montreal. I love this track. Um, Callan. I've never been there. I'm actually going there on Wednesday. I'm very excited Ooh. for the first time. But it has been the scene of many a good race over the years. Um, and uh, weather has played a part. 
incidents, strategy, it's tires. It's it's quite a good track for it's racing. It's mega. It's mega. I mean, it has a combination of everything. It's it's like it's one of those tracks as well where it is much easier for an F1 car to follow because it has much less high speed corners, lots of changes of direction, and then that giant long straight into the the chicane before the world of, the wall of champions. Great overtaking opportunity. The big the, the big curves on the inside cause absolute carnage if you get it wrong when you're side by side. And even if you're not, it's a very, very tricky corner. Um, yeah, I love this place. It's traditionally been one that's that's always caused a, a bit of upset, hasn't it, as well? I mean, thinking back, my favorite memory is the, uh, I think it was 2011, the race that uh, Jensen Button famously the won. The longest race ever. Oh, I, that, that race. And that, again, we talk about those moments that make you love Formula One. Like, yeah. what a... What a day that was to sit and watch that. And yeah, I was a Vettel fan at the time, so that did come oh, out. Now looking no. back, <laughs> watching him dip it on the exit of turn seven and lose it on the last lap. I remember I was, I think I was, I was like 13 or 14 at yeah. the time. And I was like borderline in tears watching Sebastian throw away a race win. It, it yeah, was, was one of the best races I I can remember Canada being. Just because, and Button had been at the back of the field like three times. He crashed with his <sighs> teammate as well. And yet he still won the race. He's on the last lap, halfway around the last. It's so, so good. And, and you know, we, we, again, in, in even earlier than that, we've had great stories like Robert Kubica having his huge crash there and then coming back and winning the year after. It is It is one of those places where you can get a bit of a surprise winner. Maybe not this year, but hopefully let's keep up, you know, it's it's not like Red Bull are ridiculously strong in a straight line, is it? So no, that's very and, true. It's yeah. a it's a big power track because of that massive long straight. So it's really how good how good is your is your engine? How good is your power unit? Really, just um, keep the Red Bulls out of DRS range. That's all yeah, you need to do. Pretty much drive the widest car in the world. I mean, yeah. you you nicked my favorite Canada Grand Prix moment, 2011, because yeah, I think for us two. You know, we're both the same age, near and near about. So it's it's like proper nostalgia for us. Yeah. Now. But then I, I was watching a YouTube video of like the best moments from from Canada over the years, and uh, like 1999 looked chaotic as well. There was about two restarts, and there was a, a big crash into both of them. You go more recently, Kubica 2007 win. Hamilton, of course, is like a like a, a, a the the biggest winner around Canada. I think he's won seven times. Yeah, seven and he, times. He, he won his first Grand Prix there in 2007 And first Grand well. Prix. So I think he'll yeah. do quite well with it. He's just got something about him at, uh, at Canada. He goes well. Vettel, recently, do you remember 2019, where uh, Hamilton, uh, he got a penalty for running out wide, I think, in turn one, two, three, three or four. Yeah, and the chicane down moved, the hill. Yeah, yeah. and he moved. Um, he, they both Came back across into the May. barrier, yeah. Yeah, but in, the, in part for me, when they pulled up, he moved the P2 oh, sign. yes. To, to Hamilton and he took the P1 side and it was just that oh Vettel, iconic Vettel. iconic moment come on I miss but... Sebastian I miss Sebastian he had so many eras he had the villain era he had the dominant era he had the the kind of wholesome era he had it all he had a real character arc did Sebastian Vettel um but those are some of the the, the best moments uh things to watch out for the Aston Martin bring in um Big upgrades, apparently, to uh, to Canada. Not sure what they are yet, but Alonso, this is at the request of Alonso to to push them on because he's worried that they're now going to fall behind because, well, look at last time around, Spain, first time they were off the podium in, in all the races we've had so far this year. So uh, Mercedes have jumped them in the constructor standings. And actually, you know, they, they, Aston Martin should have been way further ahead, but they've only had one guy who's been doing all the scoring. Well... It's it's completely overrated to have 
you know, two drivers scoring points, isn't it? It's much easier if you just let Fernando do all the work for you. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point. It's traditionally a track that has, Lewis has been very strong on. I know that, you know, the era that, that Hamilton had, he was strong everywhere, but did he win his first race there? He's very, very good on the brakes. Traditionally, he's normally the last of the late breakers. And that really is something that's important to Canada because all the braking zones are quite bumpy. They're all quite big stops. And it's it's a place where hopefully he can make a bit of a difference and couple that with the fact that Mercedes, the upgrades that they, they seem to have brought to Barcelona really seem to be working. Hopefully, we're going to see a Mercedes challenging a little bit. And and yeah, as you said, Alonso came out and said, well, this is the last race we don't finish on the podium. Statement of intent from Fernando. And let's see what Aston Martin can do to sort of bring the fight. That that really appears to me now that could be the fight that's really developing between, let's call it the, the two main teams for, for P2. It could be a fight between... Um, Mercedes and Aston Martin as we watch Ferrari slip away a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, in the constructors, what is it? 18 points between Mercedes and Aston Martin now. And of course, it's Lance Stroll's home race and he's literally from Montreal. So um, big pressure on him. And we've only got one Canadian in the field now. No no, no more Latifi. So it's just, it's all on, on Stroll's back uh, for this weekend. Um, podium predictions. Please, Callum. We don't normally do this, so uh, let's have them, shall we? We normally do our WTF1 podium after the race, but it's a different kind of podium. So let's have your actual one, two, three for Sunday afternoon in Canada. Well, Yuki Sonoda for the win, obviously. obviously. He's in the form of his life. <laughs> and you just cannot call this Formula 1 season just, right now. Yeah, it is exactly. unpredictable. So many different winners so far and so many teams at the front. No, I, I'd, I'd have to be an idiot to bet against Verstappen. Hopefully, we get something... You know, I, I would quite like the people to think I have some credibility and I've come up with a lot of stupid suggestions like my, my Le Mans prediction. So all my, my <laughs> dream Le Mans lineup. So so I'm going to go with Verstappen P1. I'm yep. going to keep Hamilton in P2. I'm going to actually get rid of Perez in P3 because I think he's going to finish off the podium in P4 again. Okay. I'm going to go for Fernando Alonso in P3, Perez P4, Russell P5. Ooh. And if I get this right then I think we should start doing this more often. And if we get it wrong, then we're never doing it again. Yeah, what about you, okay. Harry? I'm going to go. I'm actually going to go for, I just have to, I can't resign myself to putting Verstappen as the winner every time. I think he's going to have a crash into the wall of champions. It'll be so fitting. Um, and I think Perez will win. I think he'll be back on form. It's a bit of a semi-street circuit, so he could do quite well. Um, Hamilton second, because he loves Canada and Mercedes has improved form. Alonso with the upgrades back on the podium in third. George Russell fourth. Charlotte Claire fifth. That's my really? top five. Yeah, that's my top five. I if I, if I was going to bet on someone going to the Wall of Champions, it's going to be Leclerc. No, <laughs> you're so right. It'll be like Leclerc. Magnussen will probably do it as well. Uh, and maybe like, wait, should we should actually predict who's going to end up in the Wall of Champions? Yes. <laughs> Yuki Sonoda. I was Kevin just Magnuson. thinking Sonoda. I was like, don't say it, don't say it, but it will be Sonoda as well. And, so and we've we've left out the obvious one, haven't we? Oh, who? Captain Crash, Nick DeFries. Oh, uh, no, well, he's been good the last couple of weekends. Exactly why he's due a crash. That's that my whole true. point. That is true. I was thinking I'm just more kidding, like, Nick. I love you, please. It'll be more like, like it'll be more like Sergeant, probably, or like, um, or maybe, or maybe Bottas, because he's not been on great form. I hate to say it, but he's he been really too busy is. cycling. That's the problem. Yeah. That's, There's... Another, that's another good memory, actually, of Valtteri Bottas. Niche, maybe, but his first year in a Williams, 2013. 
a very uncompetitive Williams. I think he qualified on as a third, I think, at the Canadian Grand Prix. Something like that. Yeah, it was mental. I mean, he fell back like a stone straight away. I think it was because it was like a wet to dry qualifying. He did ah, quite well. Yes. But that was when everyone was like, oh, Bottas, who is he? You know, another good Now guy. look at him. Now look, now what look a, at him. What a, what a fact to end on. That was Loves fantastic. a bit of lycra. Um, right, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's a good a good way to end then, shall we? Um, thank you very much, Callan O'Keefe. I've been Harry Benjamin. We will be back straight after the Canadian Grand Prix on Monday uh, for the WTF1 post-race podcast. Dre and the team will be here on Wednesday for Hot Takes Wednesday. Keep up to date with the WTF1 socials and YouTube videos galore and all that jazz. Like, subscribe. Uh, I need to get better at, at doing this kind of thing. You know, is it like, subscribe, swipe up, and all that stuff? Um, so social media right. things. Social media things, yeah. Um, but uh, because what well, Canada, they, it's actually French speaking, isn't it? So we'll say um, Abianto this weekend. Uh, au revoir. We did au revoir. Uh, didn't we do au revoir from Monaco? Maybe I don't know. This, we're not very good at these sign-off things, are we? No, we really need to get better at it. All right, we'll see you later. Uh, <laughs> see you next week. Bye. <laughs>